If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jude. Um, Jude is not easy to find, but it is, if you will turn to Revelation and go backwards, um, it's just a one chapter book right there towards the end of your Bible. Um, I'll give you a little bit of heads up. I, I really am am asking the Lord to give me some leadership in this area, but we may dive into Revelation after this. A um, little bit of a study in Jude. And what I what I think I might do, the first several chapters of Revelation are directed at the church, and that would be my reason for beginning that series is because they are directed at the church. This is for the now. Um, we we want to think a lot about the future and what Revelation says about the future and what's coming, and I believe it is futuristic in a lot of ways. But the first few chapters deal with now, um, now, and what he ant- what he expects out of his church. And so what I may do is work through those first few chapters on Sunday morning and then switch it to a Wednesday night Bible study so that we can talk about some of the apocalyptic stuff. In the book. It's, it's more suited for a study than it is preaching anyway, the last portion of the book. But um, I've preached the first Sunday of this year on being found faithful, that everybody in this church can be found faithful. There is nobody who is a child of God who cannot be faithful. Faithful to the word of God, faithful to the work of God, faithful to the worship of God. Everybody can do that. No, nobody has an excuse for not being found faithful. When Jesus returns, I want to be found faithful. Last week I, I preached primarily to the men and um, and, and the, the title of the message was Faithful Men, Good show, Soldiers. And I am grateful for, I'm grateful for every part of this church from the littlest to the oldest um, for the men, for the women, for the children, for the teenagers. Um, but, but, but God created man first and gave us some responsibility and some uh, authority even. And, and, and so when you can get men plugged in to the purpose that God has for their life, um, God can do some amazing things through those men. And I'm grateful for the men that we have at Zion Hill and the fact that they are faithful men and good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's where my thought processes have been. I've been I've been running down that trail, and I'm I, I kind of have a one track mind in that regard. And and I don't often plan to just have a sermon series, but when I sit down and begin to think and pray and meditate and study, um, my mind just kind of falls on a track sometimes, and I run with that. And so um, that's where some of these series come from. If I tried to unload it on y'all at one time, you would never get out of here on Sunday morning, so I wind up just kind of breaking it down. But um, <clears throat> there's a lot of material in the Word of God to preach. But me being where the Lord wants me to be is what's most important. I could preach anywhere from this book, but I want to sense the leadership of the Holy Spirit and go the direction that He tells me to go. For a couple reasons. Number one, I believe that's the most fruitful ground to be on, where the Holy Spirit's leading um, it'll be relevant to the people. They can take it and apply it to their lives. We can all grow by it. Not what I want to preach is what he's leading me to preach. The second reason I like that is because it's a whole lot easier for me to study and prepare and a whole lot easier to preach when I'm listening to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times the Spirit's leadership begins with a burden. When, 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 when I feel burdened about something that I'm seeing or hearing or sensing, that's going on around us, that's kind of where the Spirit of the Lord takes over, I believe, and gets me, he'll take my mind to different passages of Scripture or different subjects, and I kind of fall into that place and begin to ask him to lead me into how I can be relevant to what he 
what I've seen, what I've heard, what I'm sensing. And so, and if you look at today's church and today's culture, there's a whole lot to be burdened about. And the Word of God is relevant to it all. But I want to be right where the Lord wants me to be and begin to speak to that in a way that's relevant to us right here, right now, that we can apply it. Uh, I don't think we'll ever change what's happening in the church or the culture if we're unwilling to address it. And the way to address it is to take God's word and apply it to it. And so um, I don't, I'm, I'm not necessarily preaching topical, subject-related, but if there's something that's going on around us that we see, that we hear, that we sense, that burdens us, and the Holy Spirit's leading us to address it, then we need to address it from that biblical standpoint. So let me just tell you a little bit about the book of Jude, and we're going to dive into it. We're only going to get through three verses today, and after that we'll probably bite some pretty big chunks out of it, but... Um, the fourth verse is really the heart of the purpose, but I'm just going to get through the first three verses today. Um, Jude, the name really is Judas. If you look it up, it's Judas. The reason it's named Judas is because I don't think anybody wants to be mixed up with Judas. There's actually several men in the New Testament who, who were named Judas. And um, the one that betrayed Jesus is nearly always identified in every text as Iscariot, so that we can identify him. Judas is just a shortened name of Judas. And, and if you do a little bit of reading in the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus had several, we call them half-brothers because Jesus did not have a biological father on earth. But Mary and Joseph had more children after Jesus. And they, they, they were half-brothers of Jesus. And two of those, and they're mentioned in the Scripture, um, he's not called Jude when you see the, the, the list of Jesus' brothers. Um, he's called Judas. Um, there was James, Simeon, Judas, and I believe there was one more mentioned. And, um, and, and so James, uh, Judas, Judas, the half-brother of James, or the half-brother of Jesus, the whole brother of James, who wrote the, the epistle of James, they were not easily converted. They grew up alongside Jesus, um, didn't really believe his claims, didn't really believe that he was who he said he was. And the Bible said that they that they, you know, they just doubted his deity, um, doubted the message of his um, incarnation, of his virgin birth. All that changed after the resurrection. And you, you can find that in the Gospels. These brothers, half-brothers of Jesus, when they saw him crucified and buried and rose again, they became post-resurrection converts and not just converts, but disciples and followers of Christ, and they began to be leaders in the church at Jerusalem. And so Jude just wrote one epistle. James just wrote one epistle, even though James is identified as the first real, one of, after Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Um, but Jude was also known as a leader of, in the church, and he wrote this letter, this epistle, and it's general in the sense that it's not addressed to any specific church. It's addressed to the church as a whole. And uh, one, one fellow that I was reading behind this week say, said that Jude, the epistle of Jude, may be the least read, understood, and appreciated in the New Testament, but it also may be the most needful and apl applicable to the day that we're living in, that we need it today. And that may be one reason the enemy tries to keep us um, away from it. Um, essentially, Jude wanted to just write a letter of encouragement to the church. He wanted to write about something that they had in common. He wanted to write about... Um, their common faith. He wanted to. He wanted to just generally encourage 
the church, but he found it more needful that he addressed something very specific that was going on. And it, and it became not an encouragement as much as it was a, a very strong exhortation to the church. He saw something, he heard something, he sensed something that became a burden too big for him to ignore, and it was a danger that threatened the very witness of the church. And so that's kind of an introduction to it. Um, Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says, If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. The Apostle Paul writing, and this is application of the gospel, people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel. That's how chapter 12 starts. After everything you know about what Christ has done for you, he starts giving a bullet point list of this is how you live your life. And one of the things that he says in that list is, as much as is possible, Christians are called to live peaceably with all men. But Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, and following, there are several verses, but I'm just going to read verse 34. He said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. And he went on to say that a man's, that, that he would come to set a father and son at variance with each other, and a mother and a daughter. And he gave a list of, he's, he's like, and a man's foes. A man's enemies will wind up being people in his own house. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword that will divide. And I believe that sword is the word of God that you have open before you this morning. And so that, there's, and, and what Paul said and what Jesus said, there's a tension that exists there. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but division. I came to bring a sword. The Apostle Paul said, then as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. There's a tension there. And that, and that tension is this, is that we are supposed to be peace-loving and peace-seeking people, but at the same time understand that there are some things that are worth fighting for. There are some things worth contending for. There are some things that we don't need to make peace about or peace over. And so, uh, and so from this epistle of Jude, I want to start a sermon series, and it's not going to be a very long one because we're going to bite out some pretty good-sized chunks after today. Um, but, I, but I'm going to begin a sermon series today simply entitled Contender. And this, I got, I got kind of caught up in this whole be faithful, be found faithful, and then we have good men who are faithful soldiers. That's what Paul told Timothy. Be a faithful soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what soldiers are trained to do? They're trained to fight. They're trained to contend. And there, there, there is scripture that tells us that there are fights that are worth fighting. And that we need to contend for some things. That we don't have to um, um, go along to get along. That we don't have to make peace when there ought not to be any peace. That there are some things that are worth standing up for and standing against. There is a fight worth fighting. And so I want to look at just kind of an introductory message this morning in this business of a fight worth fighting. And he get, really, un, verse 4 kind of unpacks very specifically um, uh, what he wants us to fight against. And then there's some illustrative verses that follow that. 
Um, but I'm just going to I'm gonna read it and preach it a verse at the time this morning. I don't ever like you to know exactly how I'm going to do something anyway. So mostly I just read the text and then come back and talk about it. But I'm going to do a verse at a time. And I just want to really break it down as we go this morning. And then make some application at the end of the message. So he introduces himself as the writer at the beginning. There's no, there's no questions about who wrote this epistle. Unless you talk to some skeptics who, who try to say it was written by somebody else. But Jude identified himself as the writer. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now, don't you think about just that introductory verse with me for just a minute. He identified himself as the brother of James and also as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were half-brothers. They were... Um, they grew up in the same home that Jesus grew up in. They had the same mother that Jesus had in Mary. They were half-brothers only in the sense that Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. But they both referred to themselves post-resurrection, when they came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, they both identified themselves. You look at James' epistle, he did the same thing. <clears throat> I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a, I'm a brother of James, but we are both servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look that word up in a strong concordance, it literally means that they are bound to him as servants, that they are bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, what they said is that we are a slave to Christ, is that we have been bought by him, and we are bound to him, and we belong to him, and we are willing to do whatever it takes, including the giving up of our own lives, to advance his cause and his kingdom on the earth. And James, in fact, did give his life up for the gospel. I'm not sure about Jude. I haven't researched that a whole lot. But James, his older brother, gave up his life for the proclamation of the gospel. He, he connected himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, not just as a half-brother, but as a servant, as a bondservant, as a slave, bought, bound, belonging. Everything that was in him was devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even when you look at that title, servant, that title alone implies humility, that we are less than him, that we have humbled ourselves at his feet. It implies submission. He is our master and we are his servants. And we voluntarily, willingly submit ourselves to him. It also implies a responsibility. So when you identify as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope you do this morning because he's bought you and you are bound to him and you belong to him. And if Christ has done that in your life, this morning, then our calling is to every day humble ourselves at his feet and submit ourselves to him as his servants and take on the responsibility of doing what he has called us to do. Yes, he is our friend. Yes, he is our brother. But he is very much also our master and our Lord and our sovereign king. We, and, and listen to me, I'm saying this... As, as, as strongly as I can because there's a whole group of Christians today. In fact, you see it posted sometimes, Jesus is my homeboy. No, he ain't. That Jesus is my homeboy mentality diminishes the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you buy into that. Yes, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Yes, the Bible calls him our elder brother, but he is more than that. He is master. He is sovereign Lord over our lives. He is the king of all kings. He is our final judge. He's more 
than your homeboy. He's more than your friend. Don't treat Jesus as less than he is. He's the Savior that sets you free from your sin, but he's the sovereign king who has rule and right to every fiber of your being. Now, who's he writing to? He says in that verse, I'm writing to them that are sanctified, that are preserved, that are called. Called means that they were selected, that, that, that Jesus himself identified them and called them unto himself. If you are a child of God this morning, if you have been born again, you have been born again, you are a child of God because you heard the voice of the Holy Spirit call you to Christ. Sanctified means that you have been cleansed and set apart, that you have been consecrated. You've been selected by Him and consecrated by Him, cleansed by Him to be used in service to Him. Preserved means that you are cared for, kept by the power of God. That's who Jude is writing to. Called, cleansed, cared for. Every true child of God has been called, cleansed, and God cares for us. He keeps us. He preserves us. Now, you say, preacher, you spent a long time on verse 1. Listen to me. What Jews fit to call this, these people to do, not going to be easy for them to do. Judah is about to call them to contend for something that's worth fighting for. He's about to call them to step into a spiritual warfare. And they need to know before they do that whose they are. They need to, they, they need to understand their identity. Every true child of God needs to know and believe and live out their identity. And so what happens when you understand that this is who you are? Well, in verse 2, he talks about what that brings into our life. It brings mercy unto you. It brings peace unto you. It brings love unto you in multiplied measure. Let's talk about those words for just a minute. Mercy is just simply God's kindness. It is God not giving to us what we deserve. If we got what we deserve, none of us would ever be saved. But God in His kindness towards us has shown to us mercy. In pardoning us of our sins, He has been kind to us. Peace. Um, and Listen, we've already used that word one time, but when you think about God's peace, it doesn't mean that that you have the peace of the world or that you are at peace with the world. It is to have peace with God. It is to be at rest in who you are in Christ Jesus. It is simply God's assurance of who you are. Uh, so when you know who you are, um, you experience that, that, that kindness of God, that assurance that God uh, is with you, and then you experience God's love. And by the way, we, the, the love that we, that we talk about, um, that we express so much is a fickle kind of love. When you talk about God's love, it is an enduring love. It is an unconditional love. It is a love that doesn't bear record of wrongs. It is a love that believes all and hopes all and keeps all. It is the love of God. And what, what Jude said is that if you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you will have these things multiplied in your lives. In ever-increasing value, you will understand God's kindness, assurance, and love to you. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been a Christian for 
for nearly 30 years now, since 1993, I'll celebrate my, uh, my 30th birthday in Christ um, this coming October. And I can tell you that the more I know who I am in Christ, the more I understand that He called me out of that life that I was living and that He cleansed me from my sin and consecrated me to His service and that all these years He has kept me through every trial, through every tribulation, through every temptation, through every snare that the enemy has set for me. He has been faithful to me and I have seen his kindness. I have experienced his assurance. I know his love in an ever increasing measure and it empowers me more and more every day of my life. You need to know who you are. When you know who you are, it will give you everything that you need to do everything that he has called you to do. All of that is imperative. When Jude lays down his purpose for this letter, when he begins to call them out and tell them that there's something that you need to be contending for, when he challenges them to step up into that fight, they need to know whose they are, that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to know who they are and that they're capable of doing whatever it is that God has called them to. And they need to know what they are, and that is cherished. When you know those things, it empowers you. It encourages you. They are the most needful things that we can have for the battle that lies ahead, for the fight that is worth fighting. And I'm going to tell you something, if you don't have them, you won't last long in this battle. As soon as it gets hot, you'll turn around the other way. When the enemy begins to assault and, and attack and, 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 and come against you. I've got a little taste of that here lately because of some positions that I've taken. And I'm telling you, if I didn't know who I was in Christ, if I didn't know um, that he loved me, if I didn't have that peace, if I didn't have that assurance, if I didn't know that if he's called me to it, he's equipped me for it, if I didn't know those things, I'd turn tail and run, I'd zip my lips, I'd be quiet, I wouldn't say no more, I wouldn't do no more, I'd try to be one of them secret disciples that follow Jesus at a distance and wind up mixing and mingling myself with worldly people and worldly ideas, but that ain't what he's called me to, that ain't what he's called you to, the more you know who you are and what you have in Christ Jesus the more willing and able and ready you will be to contend for something that's worth contending for verse 3 beloved Jude loves the church let me say before I say anything else this morning I love the church I love the people of the church Christ died for us. Christ put his spirit in us. Christ equipped us. Christ is using us. We are his body. We are his bride. We are his ambassadors on the earth. I love the church. The church ain't got it all right. We don't, we don't, we don't always... Dot every I, cross every T. We've got our faults. We've got our flaws. We've got our failures. But let me tell you something. There's not a family on earth like the family of God that exists as the church. Beloved, he said, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, 
it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Verse 4, he's going to get into some specifics about what's going on. Some things that, that he's going to address some issues that, that he said you have to fight for these issues. I'll, I'll give you a little hint. A lot of it had to do with sexual immorality. A lot of what follows and a lot of the illustrations he gives. Listen, we're fighting. About, you say what you want to say. That is the front line battle in America today. Um, what, what began as a, as a revolution, as, as a sexual revolution in the 60s with the hippie movement that the church thought would never get inside the doors of the church is in the church. It's crept in wholesale and, and, is, and is, it, it's corrupting people and corrupting churches, corrupting doctrines, corrupting the theology of God. And, and, and we're going to dig into that a little deeper beginning next week. But Jude said, I wanted to write to you a general letter about our salvation, but something else has come to my attention. I, I wanted to write to you just to generally encourage you. One of them feel-good messages, you know. One of them where everybody just goes out feeling good about themselves and who they are in Christ. And I, Jude said, that's what I wanted to write to you about. I really did just want to write you a general letter and say, hey, keep up the good work. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being who you're being. I wanted to write that to you, but there was something that was more needful. Let's think about that word for a minute. Look it up. It says, there's something that became a bigger necessity than just writing you a general letter of encouragement. There is a, the Strong's definition is this, a necessity imposed by circumstances or duty, especially with regard to a calamity or a stress. So I want you to understand this. Jude's making a big deal out of this. I wanted to just lift you up and encourage you, but it became necessary. It became essential. It became urgent. It became a need that I address something very specifically that's going on around you because it is something that you need to be contending for. It's something that you need to be fighting about. Fighting for. He said, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you. That word literally means to beseech, to beg. He said, I had, I, there's something that you need to know. And I'm begging you. I am, I am admonishing you as strongly as I know how. I am calling you to action as vehemently as I know how. Listen, this is, this is a 911 call. This is Jude writing a letter to the church saying, this is a 911 emergency. I need for you to step up. Jude saw something, heard something, sent something that he believed was a grave danger to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, if something becomes a danger to a church, it becomes a danger to the lost world around the church. Because if we lose our ability to be the witness that God has called us to be in this world, then souls are going to perish in their sin. Because they, say, because they can't see the truth through the danger that the church has fell into. 
so, so, so what Jude is writing about, this is a 911 about a world, this is a 911 about a situation that the church is experiencing that can damage the church's witness, render, the, uh, render them ineffective, uh, render them powerless to uh, impact and influence the world around them. He said, this is, a, this is a call that I've got to make and this is a stand that you have got to take. I need you to earnestly contend for something. Look at all those words, earnestly. I need you to step up. I need you to do everything that you can do. I need you to earnestly contend. I looked that word up. It is one word. Um, I, can, I don't even know that I can pronounce the word. Epikonazomai. But the, I want you to see something. Look in the middle of that word. Ep is a, is, is a, um, is a prefix. But look what follows that. A-G-O-N-I. What does that sound like? Z. Agonize. Agonize. At the heart of this earnestly contend for of Jude says, there's something that I need you to agonize yourself about. There's something that I need you to be burdened about. There's something that I need you to enter into a struggle about. I need you to earnestly contend. Now I'm telling you, that, that kind of preaching ain't popular in the church today. People don't want to be called out. People don't want to be challenged. Listen, I love to preach. I, I would rather preach when the messages make you feel good and make us all warm and fuzzy and, 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 and go out that door having not been challenged. But, but I'm here to tell you, there, sometimes you take a look around, you see what's going, you hear what's going, you sense what's going, you know the direction that it's taking us, you understand the impact of that. And that's what Jude said. He said, listen, it's time for you. I, 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 this is necessity. This is emergency. This is me begging and beseeching you to get involved in this struggle now. And then he simply said to contend for the faith. That was once delivered. Let me give you a more literal translation of that. Literally, that is, I want you to contend for the faith that was given once for all time to the saints. Now, here's what that means. That the faith that was given to the saints is unchanging and unchangeable. That what's good in A.D., he probably wrote this around A.D. 80, 50 years after the crucifixion. In fact, he and John may have been, at this point in time, they may have been, John may have been the only living apostle. But we're still in the first century of the church. We're still in, in, in the era where there are people that saw Jesus crucified and saw him resurrected. And we already got problems creeping in um, that Jude saw as essential that they've got to be addressed. And he said, listen, don't let them change the message. Contend for the faith. It is unchanging. It is unchangeable. It's worth you stepping up and grabbing a hold of this. And don't let them get away with it. Now I'm going to tell you, this is what's going on in our world today, whether you believe it or not. There's people changing the message of the book. They're changing the requirements of the book. They're changing the standards and the principles and values of the book. They're saying times have changed. People have changed. Standards have changed. No, they hadn't. The book has not changed. And so when he says contend for the faith, he says contend for what's in the book. Contend for what's been handed down. 
Contend for that that you have been given, that you have been entrusted in the Word of God. Uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So listen to me. Any attack on the Word of God, any deduction from the Word of God, any addition to the Word of God is an attack on the faith. And that's worth fighting. When you get away from God's word, when we diminish the value of God's word, when we diminish, deduct, change what God has said, uh, it has an impact that is far-reaching. If faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, then you've got to be careful how you handle the word because if people hear something and, be and believe something that didn't come from the book, they're not saved. They have a false assurance maybe. Everything that we believe is rooted and grounded in immutable truth that is God's word. Satan's favorite tactic has always been to get people to doubt, question, and deny what God said. Listen, the original temptation, don't miss this, did God really say? Did he? Well, maybe I misinterpreted it. Maybe he didn't really mean it that way. Maybe God's holding out on us. And if you look at Eve's response, she, looked, she added something to it. And you may think that's, oh, that was harmless enough. Eve said, yeah, and we can't, he said for us not to eat it or touch it. God never said anything about touching it. You say, well, that ain't nothing big deal. Listen to me. The Bible says, read the end of the book of Revelation. Any man that adds to it or takes away from it, his name's going to be taken out of the book of life. That's pretty serious. This is the fight worth fighting. The advance of Christ's kingdom is at stake. <clears throat> this is a rabbit. I'm going to chase it real quick. It's fast, all right? Yesterday we had our association meeting here. I've never seen this before. Y'all remember the story of Lazarus? The beggar and the rich man died. I never really saw this part of the story before. I believe, I believe Jesus opened the curtain and let us see what hell looks like, the gulf that separates. But there was something that was said at the end of that parable that I'd never really considered before when the rich man said, hey, if you'll send, one of, send Lazarus, just let Lazarus leave heaven, go tell one of my brothers not to come where I am. Of course, Abraham said that can't happen. That ain't going to happen because Lazarus can't go there. They can't come here. We, that, that, that's not how it works. And, 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 and what the rich man said was, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, if somebody from the dead goes to them, they'll believe that. And Jesus' response was this, or Abraham's response, it was Jesus giving a parable was, if they won't believe what Moses and the prophet said, they're not going to believe what a dead man resurrected said. And I believe the dead man resurrected is Jesus. If they ain't going to believe what this says, 
How do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Because that's what this book says. I didn't see him. I didn't hear him. I'm taking the witness of somebody else that's, re that's recorded their witness in this book. That's why I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he was going to do because the book says it. Well, when you start taking away other sections of the book, um, when you start cutting this out and cutting that out and changing this and changing that, pretty soon the resurrection is going to come under direct assault too. It already has. So when, when, when Jude says, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, um, he's pointing to the book. He said, you cannot get away from what it says. You can't get away from the examples that have been laid out, from the illustrations of what's already gone on in this world, from what God said that is unchanging and unchangeable. And so listen to me. We cannot sit idly by. The Holy Spirit, by the hand of Jude, is still calling the church to earnestly contend for the faith that was once and for all time delivered unto the saints. We got to carry the torch. If Jesus tarries his coming, the next generation is depending upon us to carry the faith ahead. Not a watered down version, not a mealy mouth version. Uh, not a tiptoe through the tulips version. Uh, he is calling us to contend for the faith as it has always been and as it will always be. If we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have been called, if we have been cleansed, if we are being cared for, we are capable of doing this. And there is nothing in this world more worthy of contending for than the inerrancy, the sufficiency, and the authority of God's unchanging and unchangeable word. Listen, there's too many people today that are sitting in churches this morning that are making excuses. For Verse 4 is going to spell it out for us. They're saying... They're saying that the grace of God means you can live your life any way you want to live it. That Jesus loves you like you are and he'll leave you like you are. It can sound good and be a lie from the pit of hell. And it is. Paul said, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And people take that and run with it. Oh, we got grace. Let's live as wickedly as we want to live. You need to read what Paul said next. Shall we continue uh, since grace abounds? Shall we continue in sin that grace may much more abound? God forbid. How can a people that are dead to sin continue to live in it? He, he, Paul wrote to Titus and said, The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't take a stand for this, there will come a day that there won't be anywhere left to stand. There's coming a day that this is the only thing left standing. The Word of God endures, the Bible says, forever. In order to do that, we've got to know it. 
You got to know it. You got to show it. It's got to be part of your life before you can sow it. You got to take this book and know what it says and make personal application to your life first. And then you can take it and scatter that truth. I, I want you to know that there is no excuse in this day and in this place that we're living for being biblically illiterate. There's just not. Because we got more Bibles than we've ever had. More translations of, of the Bible that we and and I'm not going to get into the translation debate. Um, but but there are good translations of the Bible that are easy to read. I understand King James can be difficult sometimes, but there are, you can take a Strong's Concordance in the King James Bible and learn anything you want to learn. You need to know what God said about some things. When you see something going on in our culture and the church around you, that you said, that don't seem right. What does God say? There's no excuse for being biblically illiterate. We've got a Bible. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got opportunities. We've got tools. We've got time if we make time. If we're going to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints, we've got to contend for it in our own heart and, in our own, and contend with it. Listen, we need to wrestle with God's Word. We need to, we need to understand it and, and feel, uh, feel the weight of it in our own life. Um, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he told him how he's, how he's been called to live his own life in godliness and humility and reverence and devotion, when he told him, he laid out that list, Timothy, if you're going to take this book and teach it to others, then you've got to live your life like this. And then he went on to say, um, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. You get a hold of that yourself, and then you can take it to the world. It's sad to me that Christians will fight over so many things that are meaningless. Man, we'll fight over football teams. Listen, y'all know me by now. I don't know enough about football to even talk to you about it or any other ball for that matter. But Christians don't mind fighting each other over those things. Listen, I promise you, there's been some Christian people, Alabama fans and Georgia fans, that don't give a rat's behind They'll go at each other like, and you know, oh, that's just part of the fun, preacher. I don't know. I've seen some folks get mad the last few weeks. And some of them preachers. I mean, they they unfriending each other over football. We don't mind shaking somebody up about our politics. About our styles and our preferences, I've heard some ridiculous stuff. I, I, I've, I've talked to somebody yesterday who was talking to me about their church, how one woman's threatened to leave church if they don't take the Christian and the American flags out because it's idolatry. We find some of the stupidest stuff to contend for. I'm telling you, it's stupid. It's ignorant. It grieves the heart of God that we'll fight over non-essential, nitpicky issues and we won't stay, take a stand on the inerrancy, sufficiency, and authority of God's Word in our life and in the lives of the church. Amen. Scared to death 
to say, thus saith the Lord. Oh, I'll say, thus says Stetson Bennett, or thus says Kirby Smart, or thus says Donald Trump, or thus says. But thus saith the Lord might offend somebody. I want, you to, I want you to hear this very clearly. Every person that ever came to repentance has been offended by the word of God. Amen. You know what brought me to my knees? An awareness of my wickedness. That hurt. Do, do you know that every person that has ever been regenerated by the Spirit of God had to first be convicted of their sin? That hurts. Every revival that's ever taken place took place when the church realized we're dead and dying. We got to do something. Every great awakening, every reformation is a result of being offended by the truth being abandoned and us living in wickedness. You know what made Martin Luther do what he did uh, when he renounced some of the teaching of the Catholic Church? He realized they were in error. He realized they were wrong. He realized he'd been following that wrong path and he was offended by the path that he had taken and he decided it's time to take a stand. That stand needs to be on the inerrancy, sufficiency, and authority of God's word and I'm ready to I'm ready to go in all together and be a contender for the faith all of those things are the result of being offended first by the word we try not to offend people that's not how you win them we've been studying John the Baptist on Wednesday night John the Baptist wasn't worried about offending nobody he said you are a generation of snakes who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? If you want me to baptize you, bring forth fruit that proves that you are repentant. Because God's going to lay the axe to the root of the tree. And every branch that's not bringing forth fruit is going to be hewn down, cast to the fire. That's John the Baptist preaching. Jesus said it wasn't nobody greater than John the Baptist. We need to be shaken by the word of God. We need to be awakened by the Word. I need the Word of God to shake me when I'm wrong. I need the Word of God to awaken me when I'm asleep. I need the Word of God to shape my life in a way um, that honors God. I need the Word of God to take authority in my life. I need the Word of God. And I need to be an unshaken contender for the Word of God. The world, the world, the lost world, it's imperative that we be that. So let me just close with this. If you are a backslidden, lukewarm believer, you say, preacher, I know I've been saved, but I ain't living like I ought to. I ain't doing what he's called me to do. I ain't being who he's called me to be. Now, I ain't trying to be mean-spirited to you this morning. You hear me. We, if, you, if we read them letters to the churches, Jesus didn't, he didn't, he did not water it down. He didn't soft pedal the message. He said, you make me sick. He did it. Jesus said, you make me want to vomit. If you are a lukewarm, cold and indifferent, backslidden believer this morning, I want you to understand this. 
You are, you are a reproach to the kingdom of Christ and a hindrance to the gospel being what it is supposed to be in this world that we live in. A light that exposes the darkness. Salt um, that is poured into a wound that convicts people of sin. You cannot be who he has called you to be if you're backslidden and lukewarm. You say, preacher, that hurts. If it ain't the truth, I'll resign. If it ain't from the book, I'll step down. It is that pain. It is that conviction that leads us to change and steps us up and puts us where we need to be. It's the help that comes before the healing. It's the conviction before the cleansing. I don't know if y'all, any of y'all ever went to your mama with a scraped up knee when you was a kid and she poured some methylate on it? Boy, I'd be saying, blow, mama, blow. Get, give me some relief. But I, I knew that in a day or two, what, what was painful then is going to keep me from getting an infection, going to keep back from becoming a wound that won't heal. And so I'm telling you today, if you backslidden, if you lukewarm, I, that, that's, it hurts to hear that you are a reproach to Christ and a hindrance to the gospel. But that's the truth. It is the truth. And I want to just tell you, I ain't being judgmental of you. I've been there before. I've been that person. I've been that hindrance. I've been that reproach. But the Holy Spirit and the Word of God brings about conviction. That brings about a change. The church needs your witness. The culture needs your witness. But we cannot be that witness if we're wallowing in sin and apathy and cowardice. Have you received Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Have you truly repented of your sin? And turned your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. I had all my life a head knowledge of who Jesus was. I could tell you anything you needed to know about the Bible because I'd been taught it all my life. But for 27 years of my life, I lived like the devil himself. I walked according to the Prince of the power of the air, Paul said, who is now at work in the children of disobedience. That was me. Until I had an encounter with Christ and laid my life at his feet and said, Lord, save me. I'm yours. If you haven't done that sincerely, again, I ain't trying to be mean-spirited to you. If you ain't done that, here's what the Bible says. You ain't a good man. You ain't a good woman. You might, live a, you might live a more moral life than everybody around you, but here's what the Bible says. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says you're dead in your sins and in your trespasses. You're doing the work that the devil wants you to do, and your destiny is hell, not heaven. That's the book. That's the Bible. Jesus said, there are going to be some people who stand before me on the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, look at what I did. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you who love lawlessness. I, didn't, I don't know you. 
I never have. There's a battle for our souls every day of our life. When, when, when you're not a child of God, there's a battle for your soul. Um, that, that either, your faith can turn the tide right here, right now this morning. If you don't know Jesus, you're on your way to hell. Your faith in Jesus and your submission to him puts your life on a totally different trajectory. If you are a child of God this morning, there's a battle for your soul going on as well. If Satan can't take your salvation from you, he can hinder your witness and cripple your effectiveness in this world. Um, he'll make you powerless in the kingdom if you let him. We, if we're going to contend for the faith, we've got to start with us. If, if what's going on in the culture bothers you, It don't need to be going on in your life too. If we're going to contend for the faith, we've got to contend with it ourselves first. Then we can impact and influence the world around us. I didn't know that was going to take that long. Let's stand. Father, I pray to you would um, by the power of your Holy Spirit just take the message and put it where it needs to be. I don't take any pleasure in preaching hard messages and I don't try to be needlessly offensive. I remember a time that I've read of a, a great awakening that took place in the church and one of the men who led that awakening was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. A little man who couldn't hardly see. Who stood up in front of a congregation of people one morning and read his sermon to them. simply entitled sinners in the hands of an angry God. We can still read that sermon today, but the close of that sermon that morning, I've read the testimonies of people who literally crawled down the aisle weeping because the word of God was laid alongside their life like a plumb line and they saw how crooked that they were. And by your grace, through their repentant faith, they got it all straightened out. Lord, the church is not who she has been called to be, or our nation wouldn't be where we are today. We're like ancient Israel and we're headed for destruction. And there ain't nobody that can help us if you don't awaken us, cleanse us.
revive us again. So have your will and your way in this invitation, Lord. If there's a Christian here this morning that's wallowing in sin, lukewarm in their faith, going through the motions week after week, not contending for the truth because they're not living in it, I pray right now that you would shake them, wake them, take them, shape them. Make us who you would have us to be. Somebody here lost. Eternity hangs in the balance this morning. If they've been convicted of their sin and their need for Jesus, this may be the last opportunity they ever have to be saved. I don't know that, but it could be true. All that your word promises us is that today is the day of salvation. So if there's somebody that's heard that convicting, convincing voice of the Holy Spirit this morning, I pray that this morning they would lay their life down at His feet. Confess their sin. Submit to Him as their Savior and Lord. And be saved. Have your will. Have your way. Do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.